As we continue worshiping together today, receive these words of scripture from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 to chapter 2, verse 10. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Well, well, well. It is a honor and delight to be with you this morning. I am Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan Brown, an associate pastor here at Foundry and Director of Discipleship. And this morning I am with you on a journey in the belly of a whale. Or maybe not. The text never actually uses the word whale. What it's often translated to be is large fish or great fish. Uh, This morning's children's moment at 9 o'clock provided me with the possibility of a leviathan. I personally lean towards megalodon, but that's just me. It is important to note for many scholars that the ancient Hebrew word has no word for, uh, for whale or marine mammal. So we draw conclusions in our modern mind that since this is a great big thing in the ocean, it must be a blue whale. Because that's a, that's a big thing that sits in there, swims in the ocean. And it must be a whale that swallowed Jonah. Now, while this matter of language and translation might be interesting to seminarians and biblical scholars and ancient Hebrew nerds, It's very likely, I think there is one person for whom this debate means very, very little. I don't think Jonah cares. I don't think he really is worried about the debates on semantics and particulars of what the name is of the beast that swallowed him. I'm assuming those arguments hold little water for him. Thank you, thank you. (sighs) 
At this point in time, he is sitting in the belly of the beast. He is wet. I assume he's hysterical. He's in the dark. At this point in time, I don't think he cares what, what the creature's name is. All that is probably on his mind is what comes next. Though to truly understand what comes next, we must first look back at what came before. Jonah has been instructed to go to Nineveh. And he's like, nah, that's not for me. I'm heading the other way. He then hops on a boat, takes a nap, and is wakened by panicked sailors. The introduction to the book of Jonah in the CEB Study Bible states, much like satire, Jonah contains extraordinary events and extravagant characters designed to amuse and delight the reader. In my reading and rereading, preparing for this sermon, I was amazed by how amusing I found this scene and sequence to be and how silly and comical the characters that were on the page. I mean, first and foremost, let's talk about this crew. A crew that believes that they are in a storm that is produced by forces beyond their comprehension. They are certain that this nasty, horrible, gigantic storm is the product of an angry deity. And they believe that someone or something in their midst is the aggravating factor. They throw out cargo. They start interrogating one another. They call out to each and every God they can think of, hoping they will find something. Yet there is no one, no one on the boat that says, hey, can we just turn around? Maybe if we take whatever or whoever back, things will just chill out. Nope. Here these guys are at the end of their rope and they come out with the get out of jail free card as, hey, let's play dice and see what that says. I wanna know how many of them had the dice in their pockets ready to go for this moment. Now, of course, this does help push the narrative forward as the lot falls on Jonah. And Jonah explains who he is and what he does. Now, leading up to this, the crew has talked with him and they know that he is fleeing the almighty creator God. They decide Jonah's God is the one who is the source of the storm. And they ask him, what should we do? To me, this is another comedic moment 
where I felt like some sensical character could have stood up and said, hey, if this is the guy that made God mad, are we 100% sure this is the guy we should listen to if our goal is to appease the storm sender? Sadly, no character like that is to be found. And Jonah offers the suggestion of casting himself into the sea. And still, no one offers turn around. Jonah is then cast off into darkness. He's cast into a turbulent sea. For the men on board, all becomes calm, and they begin to worship the Hebrew god Yahweh. This seems like a good place where the credit should roll. The movie has come to its close. But Jonah, Jonah's story is not over. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 reads, But the Lord provided a large fish, a megalodon, to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In reading these words, I am reminded of what a seminary professor wrote on one of my papers. I remember one time that the good Bishop Woody White wrote on a paper I turned in, it's always interesting to read what someone doesn't write. In my reading of the lead up to Jonah chapter two, it struck me what was not said. In the boat sequence, God never speaks. The storm is attributed to God, but God issues no commands on how to settle the storm. God isn't the one who says, cast Jonah into the water and I'll chill. That is the product of scared and panicked human thinking. This event that we've read about in Sunday schools and vacation Bible schools, this event was never part of some divine plan or desire. The divine plan was to go to Nineveh. God is not the producer of this dark time in Jonah's life. And God is not the producer of the dark times in our own lives. The dark times are products of humans in chaos and panic, or sometimes just of chaos. As chapter one closes and chapter two opens, Jonah is alone in the dark. Some of this is due to his own choices. Some of this is just the product of being in the wrong place. A ship with a crew that is missing the one person that says, turn around. God does not cast Jonah into the ocean. 
God sends the blessing in the darkness. For the crew, that is the breaking up of a storm. For Jonah, it is the salvation that comes in the form of the belly of a great fish or Leviathan. Now, I'm fairly certain this is not the blessing Jonah would have chosen or asked for. I'm pretty sure if Jonah had known about what would come in the Christian New Testament, he probably would have asked for that whole walking on water thing. That seems like that might have been an easier way to go about this. But Jonah got a fish. A fish that provided him with safety and oxygen and passage. A fish that in swallowing him allowed him to survive in a hostile environment. That, my siblings, is life. God does not have a plan to put you in harm's way or take away your loves. Sometimes that's the product of bad choices of our own or with people who have power over us. And sometimes it's just chaos, the unlucky roll of a dice. What we are called to remember in those times is that God is with us. We are never alone, no matter how dark it gets. God is there. And there is joy to be found. And speaking of finding joy, it would be remiss of me to take part in a sermon series entitled, Let There Be Joy, and not tell a story about my mother, the radical Reverend Joy Reichard Brown. A brief introduction to my mother, though I've come to find my mom very rarely needs an introduction. Even up here, I am being asked, oh, are you the son of that Joy Brown? In my opinion, my mother is one of God's greatest bad buts. The Sunday before she took her first appointment as an elder in the North Georgia Annual Conference in rural West Georgia, Northwest Georgia, right on the Tennessee line, a member of the church stood up. This member happened to be a former dragon in the Ku Klux Klan. And he said to the entire congregation the Sunday before she arrived, I will burn this church down before I see a woman in the pulpit. My mom showed up the next week and took the pulpit and didn't even bat an eyelash. Four years later, through God's grace and her boldness, Mr. Ken said he didn't know what he was going to do without her and thanked her for the role she had played in the changing of his heart. 
It is a plethora of stories like this that just make me stand in awe of how cool my mother is. And as I've grown up, I've found that that admiration has only grown. Now that I'm in the same fields that she was in, I find myself always wanting to know more about how she did so many of the things she did. When I first started grad school, it occurred to me how hard and how crippling a major, major milestone in our life must have been for her. You see, when I, got, when I was four years old, my parents divorced. And this occurred to a woman pastor in northwest rural Georgia where very few people had ever encountered a woman pastor. And in an area where everyone talks about everyone's business when they have no business talking about that business. And on top of that, she had a medically fragile child she had to deal with, with who made frequent trips to the emergency room. And while I have some vague memories from being four of maybe her crying, I don't remember a lot else. I know we never missed a Sunday. I know she was at her job 40 hours a week. I know I never went hungry and I don't remember wanting for anything. I just knew my mom could make everything okay. As an adult, I was in awe of this. And one day, I went to her and I asked, Mom, how? How did you do that? How did you keep it together how did you get us through that? And I remember the kind of the twinkle in her eye and the slight laugh she gave when she answered. And she said, well, sweetie, God's honest truth. I didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> the options were keep going or just crawl in a hole and die. If I did that, something would have happened to you. And come heck or high water, I was going to look after you. So I didn't have a choice. I had to keep going. Now, what I can tell you... <laughs> is when I knew everything was going to be okay and that we were going to get through this. So if you remember, we watched the Today Show religiously in the mornings right before I took you to preschool. Quick little aside, I am fairly certain one of my first phrases was good morning, Bryant and Jane. But my mom continued, one morning... 
They were doing a piece on a new cartoon and toy that was sweeping the nation. And to close the segment, they played the show's theme song. And honey, when I heard the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song get to the line, heroes in the half shell, turtle power, I began to laugh hysterically. And I remember God's presence in my laughter and joy and remember thinking, okay, I can laugh. If I can laugh, we can get out of this darkness. My mother wasn't looking for a laugh and she wasn't looking for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. However, they showed up. (laughs) They reminded her that even in the darkness, we are not alone and blessings can be found. Jonah was in the belly of a gigantic aquatic dwelling being for three days. I am fairly certain that is not what he wanted and not what he was looking for. It was dark and lonely. However, it was safe and a blessing. In his time, he began to worship and realized that no matter what happened, no matter matter the circumstances, he was surrounded by God. He begins his prayer with, I called to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. In these words, Jonah is acknowledging that God is present. God is present with us in depths and in places we cannot even fathom. Often people try to translate translate Sheol as hell, but it's not really, it's a fairly complicated concept with some afterlife ideas attached to it. But, and there's a lot of debate and academic engagement on the subject, but in this context, It's just important to see that it is a world beyond human comprehension and that when even outside of what we understand and what we know, it is a place that God is still with us and that there is joy to be found. As Jonah goes further, he acknowledges that the bad stuff, the bad stuff has happened to him. Some of it sounds of his own making, Some of it sounds just like the product of a person falling into chaos. However, as he continues to acknowledge that no matter what is happening to him, God hears him, he repents and makes a bold claim. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. In this time of darkness, Jonah knows that no matter how he gets out of this, it will be a blessing from God. And that brings us to the final bit of comedy in today's passage. 
Jonah chapter two, verse 10 reads, then the Lord spoke to the fish and it spewed Jonah out to the dry land. Some translations have vomited Jonah out into the dry land. First, I love this idea of God just whispering to giant fish. I just love that God's like, hey, you can let him go now, it's cool. And this leads to Jonah being expelled from the great great fish and landing on the beach. I assume that this is not the cleanest or freshest Jonah has ever felt. I also imagine that there was a second or two where Jonah just sat there in shock and tried to wrap his head around what just happened. Uh, to go from being on running away from God to being on a boat, to being in a whale, to being whale throw up. But I bet he recognized he was blessed. He was out of the darkness. He was alive. And for better or for worse, he was at the beach. I mean, that's not too bad. It just might not have been quite the way he had hoped to make it there when he first got on that boat. (laughs) My siblings, no matter how dark it gets, God is with us. There is joy to be found. God isn't there to take us into darkness. God is there with us in the darkness, with the promise that light will come, a promise that we will get to the beach. We just might get there in a way that's unexpected, but at least we can laugh at it. Amen and amen.